0: All right, here, here's the deal. So we're going to lay some groundwork um, for the second service, all right? And so, yeah, come on. So, man, I appreciate you guys who've been doing dual services. Today will probably be the most important if you want to do a dual service, all right? not going to tell you that you need to do it, but if you want to do dual service today, today will probably be the day that you want to do it. I'm going to build groundwork, Lord willing, on everything that's moving into the second service, The second service will kind of culminate with a video that hopefully we're going to build some context around. If I was to show you the video right now, you would be like, man, Chris, I don't necessarily have a box for that. And I would say, that's okay. All right? I'm hoping by the time that we're done here that you will have a box for it. All right? And so we're just going to start. And then we're going to move until we hit a time frame. The band's going to come back up here. They're going to sing a song over you, all right, which is kind of like a preview for the second service because it really kind of fits um, the end of this talk. Here's the deal. I can totally screw this thing up. Like, totally screw this up. I've never taught on it. Never been in a church that has. This is the first time in my 15 years um, that I'm going to watch a video on it, All right. And so what I'm going to ask is the Lord to come and do his thing, right? Like, here's what I know. I'm a flawed man, and there are flawed things that come out of my mouth. Even when I read it straight from the Word, I can mess it up. And so I'm going to ask the Lord to come sit with us and protect you from me, right? But to have your hearts open to the things that the Lord would have you open to. There's a good chance that the stuff that we talk about you've never heard about before today, and you don't have a box for it, and you don't know how to kind of play it out, I would tell you that that was true for me until this week. And so for me to assume that that's not true for everybody else would be crazy. All right? And so, Lord, man, like, Lord, like, don't, don't let me screw this up. Like, Lord, you know that I don't, like, I, you just know me. Like, you know me. And so Jesus, would start asking your name that, man, that you feel in the flaws of my life and the things that, man, that I would say that would not be right, that you would, you would either shift them, mute them, or make ears deaf to them. And, Lord, at the same time, like I would ask you to continue to us, for us to move into what your word says, not to what we've been taught, not to what men have said to us, not to what we've seen on TV Lord, that not from our religious denominations, but, Father, that exactly what your word says is what we would do. And so, Lord, you know that there are stuff in here that it's just difficult to understand. But at the same time, man, there's like so much power in it. And so, Father, allow us to walk in that. Like, allow us to walk in the power of your word. Like, it's like when the band sings over us, Father, like, I understand. Like, when they're proclaiming truth over us and we're saying it, like, there's power in that. And so, Lord, like, let, let's do the same here. Like, like, don't leave me. Like, man, be full on in this. Be full on with them. Be full on with me. And everyone in this house said, amen. Okay. So, like I say, we're going to start. We're going to lay some groundwork, I hope, Lord willing, for what really needs to play out at the 11 o'clock service. And so, so to have the groundwork means that you'll be able to explain this hopefully to someone else. All right. So for years of my life, like I would get involved in a small group, I would get involved in um, some kind of biblical study. And here's what would always play out. Somebody would say to me, here's what that verse means to me. Or somebody would ask me, what does that verse mean to you? And, and here's what I would say, man, that becomes very dangerous. And, and here's why is because the minute you start saying this is what this means to me, it no longer means what it was meant to mean. There's this whole idea between author intent and reader response, and we cannot read the word through reader response, meaning this is what it means to me. It wasn't meant for that. It's got an intent, because everything in there plays out on a bigger scale than what we know. And so what I want to do today is I want to walk through the author intent of some texts so that we can say this is what we believe and why we believe it, and we can remove ourselves from I think, or I should, or I believe. Does it make sense? And so I'm going to draw you a picture up here on the screen, all right? It's going to be on the big screen for you as well, but I'm going to draw it on this whiteboard so that you can kind of play with me, all right? So this big black line is going to be the story of the earth, all right? It's the story of the world that you know it, all right? Does it make sense? Everybody with me on that? Okay, here's what else I'm going to do. I'm going to draw... What we know historically. So like if you're following me, like if you're with the Old Testament, then you know there's stories in the Old Testament that are everywhere. All right? As you read them, like you'll hear pieces of where the Holy Spirit gets involved in people's lives. You won't read a lot of them, but you will read them. You'll read stories of when the Holy Spirit came upon Joshua. Joshua. You'll read stories of when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. You'll read where the Holy Spirit came upon David. You'll see where the Holy Spirit came upon people mightily, but you don't read them that often. Like there are not that many in there. And so what we know is that at some level, right, if you start right here in Genesis, is that the Spirit was formed over the earth. Like He was was moving over the formless earth. But yet we don't see Him playing a huge role. And so, what we've come to realize is that at some level, the Spirit was doing His thing. Specific places, specific times on specific people. That's what we see. We don't quite fully understand everything that He was doing, but it's only in pieces that we see Him. Somewhere along the line, Jesus shows up. And so, Jesus comes According to the word, he dies on the cross, all right? You with me so far? In this, we have a period of about 40 days, it says, where a lot of people saw him walking around, all right? In fact, he will go so far as to say that 500 people saw him walking around. That's a big problem for atheism, all right? And then Jesus comes to his apostles and says, hey, here's the deal, it's time for me to go home. Like, I've got to leave, He says, but I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for something that I'm going to give you. And so they go back to Jerusalem. How long do they stay there? Does anybody know? Ten more days. Excellent answer. (laughs) Right? Ten more days. And so on this tenth day is where we find Acts chapter 2 explode. So in Acts chapter 2, everything explodes. We call this day Pentecost. We taught on this a couple weeks ago, but on this day, everything explodes. Now, remember what Peter said. I don't have this on the screen. Maybe I should read it to you. In fact, let's do that real fast. I'm just going to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, let's let the Spirit lead us in this. So all these crazy, magnificent things start happening. And this is what Peter says. He stands up and he quotes the prophet Joel and says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter stands up and he reads this and he says, listen, here's what's happening. We're not crazy. Like what's playing out here is what Joel prophesied years and years and years before. He said that this new time, it's here. It's clearly here. And the Lord says that right now, in these days, in fact, He calls them the last days. Do you remember Him just saying that? He says, in the last days. He says, the Spirit will be poured out on all men. Servants, non-servants, like everyone. And they didn't clearly understand this. I don't think we clearly understand it, but what we know systematically is that the Spirit moves from moving right here to moving like this. Like He becomes a force to be reckoned with. Are you tracking with me? And so at Pentecost, the Spirit just falls, and we move into a whole new covenant and so like, if you want to understand why your Bible's got the Old and New Testament, it's the same story. They would call this the Old Covenant right here. And this is the New Covenant. Does this make sense so far? Okay, now let's go back to what Peter says. Peter goes even further and he says, Listen, before the great and glorious day of the Lord... Like the moon's going to be turned red. Mountains are going to crumble. Like you're going to see him come. Like it's going to be awesome. Like judgment day is coming and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like he's quoting still Joel, but Joel has been quoting both this season and this season. Are you tracking with me? He says there's coming a day where Christ is coming back and he's going to come back and when he does, you'll see signs and wonders. And so the next piece of this story is after this phase ends, Christ returns. Here. Yeah. Amen. Now, let's talk about a little bit things that happened when Christ returns. All right. Somebody tell me one thing that happens when Christ returns. You can yell it out, it's okay. Man, he'll be riding on a white horse. Yeah. What else? Yeah, sword will come out of his mouth. He comes from heaven. Keep on going. Say it again. He defeats his enemies. Every knee will bow. Millennial reign. What is the millennial reign? What happens in millennial reign? That's a sweet time. The reign of Christ, right? Let's talk about that for a second, all right? Let's just let the Spirit lead this conversation. This is called corum Deo, full-on corum Deo, right? This is when the full authority of the Lord reigns over the earth and we walk in His full presence and His full might and all of the earth is subdued to Him. Like everything returns. Like you no longer have a body that perishes. Like all of the things that were perishable become imperishable. Like, this is a sweet moment for us. It's when everything becomes right again. Like, it's when the shalom of the earth, that everything that broke in Genesis 1 comes back to, to being right. Like, it's what you and I should live for. It's like what we long for. It's like when you will not turn on the news anymore and see all of the anger and hatred. Like, it will be over with. Like, you will know the Lord the same way the Lord knows you. Like, it's going to be a crazy time. And what plays out is now the Spirit's not just here, but it's everywhere here. This is, some would say, as perfection is here. Does this make sense? So the Spirit no longer just operates halfway. Now the whole place operates in His power. You and I, man, we have new bodies, no sickness, no illness, no death, no weeping, no gnashing of teeth, like it's all heaven. Everything that the Lord has blessed you with will be here for you. That's all of Ephesians 1. Like, this is the moment that we live for. This is what you sing about. Man, like, there is no wealth greater than this. Like, I'm sitting here reading this, and I'm, I'm on, remembering last night just watching TV and going, man, I'm looking for motorcycles online because I'm discontent. And it's hard for me to sing what Curtis was saying, but I'm like, man, it's true. Like, there should be no wealth that gathers me. Because this becomes the wealth. Nothing else to gain here. Nothing else to get. It's all there is. Does this make sense? But here's the thing. Like we're not living here yet. Right? We're living here. Right? Good and bad. We're living here. And so my question to us becomes, okay, what happens here? What happens here theologically for us? Because if we're just waiting to die to get to here, man, we're in trouble, yeah? And so let's talk through this, all right? Let's let's walk through this biblically, all right? I'm going to present the problem to you, and then we're going to talk about the text, all right? So what I'm aiming for is to give you solid foundation on what you believe, all right? There are multiple camps out here that believe separate things. There are some that believe that this period right here was a massive transformation and that the things that happened here are no longer available to us. Like there was a shift between the old covenant and the new covenant and that these things that happened in Acts are no longer available to you and I. I would say to some degree there are some pieces that I think this solves the riddle to. But I believe if you go full bore on this, you may have a problem. And when I say The things that happened in Acts, like the miraculous works, the miraculous healings, the speaking in tongues, places being shaken, jail doors being blown open. Like those things, like, are they still in play for us? Like when Paul goes into 1 Corinthians, like, are they in play? Because these guys right here would say no, right? These gifts have ceased. Theologically, if you want to know what their names are, they're called cessationists, right? They are not evil, but I don't think they're right, all right? And I probably shouldn't have said that because I need you to come to this conclusion on your own, all right? And so let's walk through this, all right? We have about 20 minutes that I think we can walk through this scripturally because I need us to walk away from I believe or I think because what you believe about this becomes who you are. Whether you're empowered or not empowered, like what you believe about what happens here plays out for you. And I will tell you that it may play out way more bigger than what you may think. So let's walk. Are we cessationists or are we not? I think the best way we can start walking through this is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to let you turn there. I'll give you a few seconds to get to this page. And so let me just kind of set this up for you. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians at all, here's what you're going to know. This church, man, it was planted and it had no spiritual parent for a while because Paul planted it and then he moved on. He had to move on so the gospel would move. But when you see somebody come to Christ and then we move on, it has ramifications for us. Here's why. The minute somebody becomes a Christ follower, we use this term called becoming a spiritual infant. And when you leave a spiritual infant, spiritual infants do things that infants do. Like they mess up. Like they put stuff in their mouth that they shouldn't. Like it takes them longer to grow. It's it's why we have an adoption ministry. Like no one leaves baby Christians by themselves. We shouldn't. We've got no problems doing it in the real world. But when it comes to Christianity, we're okay with them coming to know Christ and walking away from them. And this is a picture of what's happened the Corinthian church was plagued with problems. It's a lesson to us to say, listen, we don't see people come to Christ and then walk from them. Like, it's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to stay with them and bring them into maturity as long as they're willing. Like, that's our role. Jesus' role is to transform their souls. Our role is to make disciples of them. This is how it works. I think the Western church has screwed this up for so long because all we report is salvations and baptisms, but not how many people are being discipled. Salvations and baptisms are Jesus' alone. Discipleship is the responsibility to every Christ follower. Everyone. You, me, Westside, restore, like name them. It's our role. And if we refuse that role, then you'll stand before the Lord and you'll ask Him. And He'll ask you, where are the people that I gave you to take care of? I have no doubt about that. And so Corinthians Church was given to us as a saying, here's here's the deal. Like walk with them as much as you don't want to. If they're willing to walk with you, you walk with them. And so chapters 12, chapters 13, and chapters 14, Paul's chastising them all. Like that's what's happening. And because he's chastising them, when you read it and you hear the heart of that chastisement, then you begin to want to chastise these gifts as well. All right? And so let's just walk in this, okay? Let's just get started. Chapter 13 is where we're going to pick it up. Now, let me just kind of lay some more groundwork. This is known as the love chapter. I would ask you not to know, not to call it the love chapter anymore. Mm-hmm. Calling this thing the love chapter is not well. Like speaking this stuff at people's weddings is not good that really, unless they understand fully what they're saying. Because chapters 12, Paul's frustrated with them because everybody thinks they're more important than somebody else. Like, that's what's happening. Like, if you read chapter 12, he's like, everybody's thinking that they're more important than somebody else. When Paul's like, here's the deal. Christ came for you to be less important than everybody else. And so they're pushing their gifts on top of each other. And Paul's like, stop doing that. Stop doing it. He's like, if you really want to know something that will never fail you, I'm going to show you. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, meaning that this language has both languages for both men and straight to heaven. He says, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, let me walk with you for just a second. We know that the gospel has three stories of love here. There's four in our language in America, but there's three in the gospel. This one here means Self-sacrificing love. It's the same kind of love that Christ was willing to go to the cross for you. It's the same kind of love that the Father said, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice my son for your life. That's the kind of self-sacrificing love they're talking about here. Not that I love my dog. And so when you read it into those terms, he's like, listen, if "If I do not have self-sacrificing love, like I don't care more about the other person, then I'm just a resounding gong. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, do not have self-sacrificing love, do not live in a way that makes you more important than me, I have nothing. Like these gifts mean zero. And he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, then I may boast, but do not have self-sacrificing love, like you're not more important than me, I am Nothing. And he says, self-sacrificing love is patient. Self-sacrificing love is kind. Self-sacrificing love does not envy. When people are more important than you, you don't boast. You will not be proud. You will not not dishonor your others. When you're willing to die to yourself, you will not be self-seeking. You will not be easily angered. And you will keep no record of wrongs when it's not about you. He says, you will not delight in evil. He says, but you will rejoice with truth. This kind of love, when you're the least important, always protects, it always trusts, it always has hope, and it always perseveres. And he says, this will never fail you. Like it will never fail you. That's what he says. Like this is the thing that will never fail you. And now he's going to go into spiritual gifts, meaning that sometimes they will. Sometimes spiritual gifts will fail you. That's why he uses the word but, right? Like their spiritual gifts, they will fail you. They're not always perfect. And here's what he goes on to say. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues... They will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I become a man, I will put away the childhood things behind me. He says, For right now, we see only as a reflection is in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Now, here's the challenge with this text, is that some will say, is that when perfection comes, is when salvation has entered into your soul. That's the argument that cessationists use, that say, man, that these gifts have stopped. They're going to interpret when perfection comes is when salvation has entered your soul, right? I don't disagree with that. Salvation does play out like that. Like according to the word, you are now holy and blameless before the Lord. And so yes, salvation does play out in you. Perfection has played out in you. But let's let the text teach the text here. He says, when completeness comes what is in part disappears for now we see only as a reflection is in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So he says, Hey, right now I only see in part. Like I only see as in a reflection of a mirror. Like whatever I have, it's not in fullness. But there will come a time that I will see clearly. Like everything will be full for me. And when that time comes, the way that Jesus knows me, I will know him. Now let me ask you this. Can anyone in this room say that the way that Jesus knows you, that you know him, And has perfection come according to this text? Man, so we know, man, like Jesus knit you together in your mother's womb. He said he knew you and formed you before the foundations of the earth were laid. Like he knows you, he knows me in a way that no one else can know us. And there's going to come a time where you're going to know him the same way that he knows you. Now clearly I've never met anyone who says that they know Jesus the way that Jesus knows them. But Jesus says that when the time of perfection comes and your goggles are removed, you will know him. When is that? When perfection comes comes here in Christ's return. That's why Paul writes, man. He says, listen, right now, because this is where the Spirit is in the world, like right now I can only see in part. I can only prophesy in part, like it's not fallen me yet. That's why prophecy when mixed with humans becomes error sometimes. It's why the gift of mercy can be taken too far. Man, it's why tongues can be taken out and screwed up because right now we only see in part. Like the things are not full. Like there's still a veil over them. But there will come a time that all of them will cease because you will not need them anymore. And the reason you don't need them anymore is because they will be full in you. The reason you will not need the gift of tongues anymore is because there will be one language between you and Jesus. The reason you will not need wisdom anymore is because Jesus will fill your mind with all of him. The reason you will not need mercy is because all of it will be poured out on the world and the world will respond. The reason you do not need administration is because all things will begin to work administratively again before it broke. Like that's how it works. So that means for us that until that time comes that they have given us these gifts until completion comes. But the gifts are not in their fullness. This is why I will argue all the time that, man, if you're wired in the prophetic, you do not get to say, thus says the Lord. Those guys are done. The canon has been sealed. We do not get that. Otherwise, we're always adding to the word. And Revelations has been clear with us that we don't add anything to this text, that it's completely finished. And so the challenge becomes this for us is going, okay, what does this mean for me? Like, how does this play out in my life? Because I think I can go toe-to-toe with anyone that says the gifts have stopped. And I would say, man, not until Jesus knows me fully and I know him fully. And right now that's a one-way street. Like Christ knows me better than anyone. He knows where I'm awesome and he knows where I'm terrible. One day, man, we'll see him face-to-face and you will get to ask anything and know anything you want to know from him. And you'll do it in a body that doesn't need to be repaired. Yeah? Yeah? And so now we walk in this, and so we're like, okay, what does this mean for us? Like, what does this mean? Like, if we can prove theologically that, yes, the gifts are here, like they're in play, but they're jacked up still. Because here's what happens in the gift, is that right here, it's working in its full on, when it's working out of the Spirit. But in the top here, it can be working full out of hell. Which is why sometimes, man, I get frustrated with gifts. I'll give you a quick story, man, of how this thing messes me up sometimes. This past week, I was in discipling with my guys. Now, here's the thing. I've been discipling now for four and a half years. Like, I'm starting to get some stuff under my belt. And we were talking about some of the gifts. And I remember going in and going, man, and I'd been with the Lord for the day, but I hadn't hadn't sat down and fasted and prayed for the people that I'm discipling. And so I walked in the door, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I kind of got this. Like, I, I've taught some of this stuff for, for four years, and I can't tell you how many times I've taught the same story. And you know what happened to me? A lot of flesh. Like, my teaching ability came out in a lot of flesh. You know what happened? Like, I began to teach the shadows of the gifts way more than the power of them. And what walked out of that room was a lot of people who may have felt beat up because I walked in the flesh. Does that make sense? Like, I used my teaching ability up here out of the flesh and messed it up which is why I refuse to stand on this stage without spending multiple hours with the Lord before I get up here. May that continue into my life of discipleship. Yeah? And the same goes for you. You can fully operate out of your gift set here and here. And it's why Paul says, man, listen, like seeing this now, you understand this better. He's like, man, for right now, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. For now we see only as a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Yeah? Is this making sense? Okay. And so here's the thing we've got about five more minutes. Here's what I want us to do. Some of you put the gifts up on the screen. So here's the gifts. Depending on who you believe, like who you read, like it's, there's not, this isn't going to split churches down the middle. But depending on who you read, there's 21, maybe 22 gifts. And there could possibly be a lot more subcategories of those gifts, right? Now, what we believe at New City Church is that the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, those are kind of the office of your gifts. Like the Spirit has given you those gifts, right? Like they're your office. Like that's how you kind of work out of. Like it's a ministry office, if you will. And then the rest of the gifts can fit inside there. Now, here's the thing. We have the gift of healing. We have the gift of discernment, the gift of mercy, the gift of miracles, the gift of faith, the gift of leadership, the gift of words, of knowledge, the gift of tongues, the gift of helps, the gift of serving, the gift of marriage, the gift of the interpretation of the tongues, the gift of administration, the gift of encouraging celibacy, the gift of contributing words of wisdom. And there could be even more than that. I don't think they made it all to the top of the list, but here's the deal. Here's what I want to lean into you for before we get to the second service. Nobody's going to argue with the gift of marriage because it's normal for us. Like one of the gifts that's up there is the gift of leadership. No one argues with that because it fits what we do. No one's going to argue with faith and no one's going to argue with mercy. Mercy. No one's going to argue with administration. No one's going to argue with serving. No one's going to argue with helping. But man, what do you do with the gift of healing? What do you do with the gift of miracles? What do you do with the gift of words of knowledge? What do you do with tongues? What do you do with the interpretation of the tongues? And so here's what I say. Like, if you're me... And you grew up Baptist and you grew up Catholic. Like this teaching has stretched me, but it has also freed me from some stuff. Because in my mind, I can't I can't clearly come over here and go, man, I want the gift of leadership. But the gift of healing, we've got to put that to the side. Right. We can't say that we want the gift of mercy, but the gift of miracles, we've got to put that one to the side. Right? There's got to be reasons. There's got to be understanding behind those things. Like, we cannot say that we want the gift of marriage, but the gift of tongues, we got to put that one to the side as well. Like, we can't do that. Like, in my soul, I'm like, it's an all or nothing thing. Either all of these are in play for us or none of them are. And I got to believe from the text that Paul's talking to us that they're all in play. And so the question becomes is like, what do you do with them? And here's what I want to lean into you about I want you to look past how this thing affects you. All right. I want you to look past, like if I've got the gift of leadership and how that affects me, I want you to look past if I've got the gift of marriage and how that affects me. I want you to look past that because if these gifts are for us and what Paul says is clear, he's like, right now you just see like a mirror, like it's just, just like a mirror, like it's kind of fuzzy then I would challenge you that these gifts are way more important than what we believe they are because they're being used as a mirror. And although they're fuzzy, they play out for something much more grand. And so in the second service, what I want to do is I'm going to take one of the most controversial ones and we're going to start with it in Genesis. And we're going to walk through it so that we can see that these gifts are more important than just being here for us. Like they have a bigger, grander scheme And they'll culminate for us here. And where we get jacked up is when we believe these gifts are made for us. Does this make sense? Are we tracking? So I don't want to scare you, but we're going to show a video towards the end of the second service. We're going to keep building the context for that. All right. The band has got a song called The Lion and the Lamb that they've been working on. And here's why we want to sing it over you is because once you see the second service, it'll make a lot more sense for you. Once you see this play out, it'll make more sense for you. And so just like the gifts are kind of just a mirror for us right now, man, we want this song to kind of just be a mirror for you in the second service. Like we want you to fully understand in the second service like why this is so important for us to understand what these gifts mean for us now. They have the tendency to empower the fire out of you. But they also have the tendency to rise up pride in you, to make you think that you're God's gift to creation, to somehow think that the Lord loves you more than everyone else. And man, what I want to battle with that is like I want to show you how your gift has been given to you from the foundations the earth were laid, and they have a specific cause in your life. And if you choose to hold on to them and not use them, then you will answer for that. But I will tell you, man, that if you can understand why you've been given them, like, man, let it let you you loose. Like, it will loosen you. You go, man, I've been created for more than this. So, man, I'm just going to pause with that and let the band sing this song over you. After they're done, Curtis is going to take up the offering, and then they're going to continue just to worship the Lord. And so you're welcome to stay in here and worship the Lord with them. At 11 o'clock, they'll take off again. I will spend three minutes on this. And then we'll move into how these things started in Genesis and move on. And I'll use the controversial ones to do it. Is that cool? All right. So, Jesus, Lord, I pray that what I said was not a fog. Like, Lord, I just want to grow the flock. Like, Lord, I want people to walk in these doors and realize that we're somebody different. And like in Acts 5, when Peter walked by, he said that people were afraid of him, but they could not help but join his cause because they knew that he walked with a certain kind of power. And so, Lord, in the, in the context, man, of what's been spoken over a New City, like for us to reveal you to people. Like, Lord, I can't reveal you to people until you've been revealed to me. And so, Lord, I would ask you to continue this in people's lives. Man, that we would we would not use our abide time just to sit idly by, but God, that we would eat your word. Man, that we would eat it. And that the people that may not know you, Lord, that they would be drawn to this. That there's a better way for them. That their their lives matter. Like there's more to them than what they know. And Lord, only you reveal that. From Genesis to Revelation, Lord, we're playing in your story and so Jesus I would ask in the name of your son that it's not a fog that second service will not be a fog and Lord we would walk out of here encouraged and empowered and we would know more who you are how your spirit moves in our lives and in who we are Jesus, I would ask us the name of your Son. Until the cobra plays with the rattlesnake. Until the infant plays in the cobra's den. And until quorum day is in full play for us. To where the lion and the lamb sit together in the field. To where there's no more weeping and gnashing of teeth. when the only burden we have is to know you and everything that's perishable will go away and that all that will remain will be us our souls and our imperishable bodies and your word the train of your robe and the glory of your temple and the multitudes singing in one voice that holy is your name Lord yeah Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. Everyone in this house said...